Hello and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. This is a bonus to the bonus episode. Last episode, we had Michael Santiago and ZB Wagman on the show, the hosts of this show. I am the fake host, Robert, talking about Shakespeare. And for that episode, we focused on how to get people up and running, how to use Shakespeare's stories, how to lift plots and make it your own. Do not sacrifice your voice, just go full speed ahead. Or in the words of Michael Santiago, go get him, Sarge. In this episode, this is um, more of our conversation, and this is where Zach and I got pretty nerdy. So if you are a big Shakespeare fan already, listen to this one. Uh, if you just want to get started up and rolling, listen to the first episode. This bonus one, we really get into the nitty-gritty of the language. That said, please enjoy the episode, and please submit your Shakespeare submissions to deepoverstock.com. Our submission guidelines are on deepoverstock.com. We're looking forward to reading your work. You know, Shakespeare is phenomenal with the language. He's so poetic. Um, so I really would love to see people play with the language in their submissions for us, um, especially if they write in iambic pentameter or write sonnets for us. But also if they're just if they just think a little bit more about the language they use, kind of get creative with it. Hell, if they want to invent new words, Shakespeare invented quite a few of his own. So I just, I really want to want people to dive into the language itself for these pieces. Hmm, I'm thinking uh, Jonathan Van Bell will be a great one for inventing words. Mickey, um, one of our other editors, actually the editor-in-chief of Deep Overstock, has come up with an episode for Late Night Poems, which is how to write in iambic pentameter and how to write a sonnet. But I'm still a little, I don't know, it's a little scary to write an iambic pentameter. Do you have any suggestions? Have you tried this before? And is there anything to make it, I don't know, give myself the right exercise just to get rolling with it? Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy thing, which <laughs> is part of the reason Shakespeare is so impressive. Um, I would say with iambic pent pentameter, focus less... This sounds, this sounds a little silly, but focus less on the structure and more on the words. Don't worry about rhyming anything. I mean, I guess unless you're actually writing a sonnet, um, mm. but it's one of those things, once you get into the pattern of writing in the 10 beats per line, mm. you just keep to it. Even if you break it by a beat here, a beat or two more or less, as long as you get your lines close to that, to the to the iambic pent pentameter, you will keep writing in it or you will keep writing mm. close to it. But make sure you get those first five, ten lines in those ten beats um, and then you'll find yourself sinking deeper into it. That's a good suggestion, Zach. You could kind of just playfully get yourself into these, these ten beats per line and you can almost write just your grocery list or just anything that comes to mind before you actually get into your, your more serious content. I think yeah. that would be fun. Yeah. I, I think that's 100% the way to think about it because if you look at Shakespeare's speeches, um, they're not, you're not supposed to pause at the end of a line, right? You don't have to make sure your thought ends at the end of the line. Most mm -hmm. of his speeches, the line, the like thought breaks, the sentence breaks come midway in a line. Um, his thoughts do not end at the end of the pentameter. So you just, as long as you're getting 10 beats per line, if you can end your thought anywhere in the middle of it. 
as long as you're following the blah, 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 blah. I noticed he does actually, in, in a lot of these Shakespeare plays, he is playing with different kinds of poetry too. And sometimes rhyme will come up for a different tone. Poetry form will enter in for a different tone or a different kind of character. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to dive into it, Shakespeare's Shakespeare writes in so much more than the iambic pentameter. He certainly writes in prose a lot, but if you pay attention to the different poetry forms and even the different sentence structures he uses, it tells you a lot about the characters. Um, a lot of the nobles he writes will will almost exclusively use iambic pentam- pentameter, whereas a lot mm. of the like lower class will speak in uh, will speak in prose. Um, my favorite thing that he does is he keeps iambic pentameter across his dialogue. So you'll have two people speaking to each other um, and their their sentences or their thoughts will complete the pentameter of the person who spoke before them. And usually when he does that, like that means the two of them have a very close connection or sometimes he'll break the pentameter and have someone speak in like seven beats leaving the last three, but the next person will speak in a full 10 or speak in five, um, which implies like a disconnect between the two characters. Hmm, That's true. I just, when you were speaking, Zach, I thought of two examples, one where a character is sticking to iambic pentameter, sticking to order, sticking to, well, a feeling of calm kind of, uh, when Hamlet is talking to his mother, uh, in, uh, his mother's bedroom scene, Hamlet is breaking in and out of 10 beats per line. Sometimes he'll do 12, 13, or he'll do 11. Uh, He's actually reversing the um, sounds in the poem. Sounds very strange, but his mom stays in iambic pentameter. Some of these lines, by the witches, they're much shorter than 10. If we're thinking uh, 10 syllables per line, the witches are only speaking, when shall we three meet again? Only seven in thunder, lightning, or in rain, and uh, eight, when the hurly-burly's done. So they break completely out of the form, but they're still rhyming. It's almost like it's an, a new level of respect for your character, even the side characters. I feel like Shakespeare has lots of side characters. By speaking um, in verse or speaking in uh, iambic pentameter and saying things that are really, that feel very significant or at least very playful, um, there's a very high level of respect for these characters who could be throwaway characters. Uh, what, what do you think about character coming to life through um, a poetic form? Hey, Bobby. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm just going to chime in real quick. Um, cool. <clears throat> your question is, how do I feel, how do we feel about characters created by Shakespeare coming to life poetically? I think a lot of emotion can be derived from that in a poem sometimes, especially with Shakespearean work versus short prose. Um, Hmm. Like what this new issue is going to be, it's short prose or poetry. Um, But I'm going to let, that's just kind of my two cents on that. But Zach being the resident expert on Shakespeare, I want to hear what he has to say on that. I think there's a lot of characterization that can come out through poetry and it's something that is kind of out of style in modern day poetry, writing, uh, writing through a character's eyes. Um, a lot of modern poetry is really kind of about the self or about like 
a single person's experiences. So I do think it would be very interesting to see more quote unquote Shakespearean poetry where they explore characterization of someone else, um, especially if it's like of multiple people. There's many puns in Shakespeare. There's a lot of joking around and a lot of jokes really, uh, I'm going to say come to life again, but they come to life when they're between two people, especially like we think about much ado about nothing, Beatrice and Benedict, making fun of each other's lines back and forth. And that's very cool. You just have to make one statement. The other character reverses that statement. So you sound a little silly. And then the play goes on. They again reverse. I don't know if you give yourself one statement, flip it, flip it again, flip it again, flip it again, or even put it in its opposite. I think that would be really fun to read. Yeah, I I think your example of Beatrice and Benedict are perfect. They are my favorite maybe of Shakespeare's lovers. I mean, they are one of his only like middle-aged lovers. Um, Mm. And yet they are still given that flirtation that young lovers are allowed. Um, They are so playful and so witty with their words um, and with their interactions. So I think you're right that they are a great example for um, people interested in this like more poetic dialogue to look at. Let's see, I want to get um, one example for us to read. I'm just going to see if I can find. Or do you have uh, a Beatrice and Benedict scene in the script, Zach? Yeah, I do. Is there any way to show such friendship? A very even way, but no such friend. May a man do it. It is a man's office, but not yours. I do love nothing in the world so well as you. Is not that strange? As strange as a thing... I know not. It were as possible for me to say I loved nothing so well as you, but believe me not. And yet I lie not. I confess nothing, nor I deny nothing. I am sorry for my cousin. By my word, Beatrice, thou lovest me. Do not swear and eat it. I will swear by it that you love me, and I will make him eat it that says I love not you. Will you not eat your word? With no sauce that can be devised to it, I protest I love thee. So very fun. We have the same like verb appearing in each person's line, and the meaning becomes twisted every time. Um, that would just be so fun to see. And I feel like it's, I don't know if it's done as much as it used to be. I really love the playfulness between two characters. And sometimes, you know, this some scenes between two characters will go on for a long time, and I think people will be, um, wary of doing that, but be a little afraid to do that. But I think people should just really go for it, see how much play they can get between two characters. There's a lot of also, so we have the, the twisting of one verb or the twisting of one phrase here in a playful meaning. But then we have another play, uh, Romeo and Juliet, where Juliet is kind of turning her own metaphor over and over and over again. And it's more image heavy. And I was thinking, how would someone do this? How could someone write like Shakespeare? You know, what would the exercise be? Here she picks, um, starts with horses, horses pulling a carriage. And you can kind of see like different words associated with this that get turned and turned and turned and turned. And it's almost like Shakespeare is trying to experiment with how many times he can turn this image. So I'll, I'll read this part. This is from Act Three, Scene Two. This is Juliet. Says, gallop apace, you fiery footed steeds, toward Phoebus's lodging. 
Such a wagoner as Phaeton would whip you to the west and bring in cloudy night immediately. Spread thy clothes, curtain, love performing night, that runaway's eyes may wink and Romeo leap to these arms, untalked of and unseen. Lovers can see to do their amorous rites by their own beauties, or if love be blind, it best agrees with night. Come, civil night, thou sober suited matron, all in black, and learn me how to lose a winning match played for a pair of stainless maidenhoods. So we have lots of kind of images coming into this. We have uh, galloping steeds, obviously. We have night, we have darkness, uh, wearing all black. And as this keeps going on, uh, Romeo becomes a raven. So you start with with one image and the image starts to take on a totally opposite value. Uh, Day and night become mixed up. The, The light and the stars come to be mixed up with the blackness of night. So I think that would be fun too. That'd be really fun to see one character turning and turning and turning metaphors and meaning. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about language so far. Um, mm. And obviously Shakespeare is well known for his language. So I think that's something we, we should certainly hope for and uh, look for in our submissions. Um, the other thing I want to talk about though, is plotting. Mm. Because the other thing that makes Shakespeare so kind of timeless is his plots and the way that he uh, is able to manipulate his characters and get them to express um, the like full scale of human emotion. Very true. And this this is something I feel like that is a lot harder for writers than playwrights because playwrights they have a human speaking their words and able to use their own emotions to get the audience to invest um, and to emote along with them. Whereas novelists, short story writers are forced to put everything, put to express all that same emotion, but just through the words on the page. Um, it's a very different style of writing than what Shakespeare is doing. And and I do think that what we're asking from our writers for this issue is quite a bit to try to emulate that. We do have really good plots that do come in and they can come in, even though we are typically accepting underneath 3000 words, maybe we'll do slightly more for this one, but we still get a lot of good plots to come in. Do you have some ideas? How would you go about doing this, Zach? If you're, if you're doing a prose story, how are you going to get your plot across? Yeah. So I think there's a couple different ways to go about it. Um, Shakespeare is well known for quoting or for referencing extremely popular like myths and legends. Um, even in that story or in that excerpt you just read from Juliet, she quoted multiple different myths. Yeah. Um, so if an author wanted to do a similar thing and basically just use Shakespeare as their touchstone, so you could tell your whole, uh, you could tell a story totally unique to yourself, not using anyone else's plots, but using Shakespeare's touchstones to basically be, to explain kind of what's going on, um, to reference Romeo and Juliet as similar to your young lovers, um, to reference Lady Macbeth as like a powerful female manipulator. Um, so you could use that or you could go the other way and just copy Shakespeare's plots word mm. for word, which is also something Shakespeare did or beat by beat, I should say, not word for word. Copy one of his plots and ascribe your own world or your own 
your own characters to those plots. I do think there's some really there's some really good examples of this. One of the best, although it's not short stories, is if you look at the Hogarth Shakespeare series, they get really well-known authors to write a new version of Shakespeare's plays. So like they had Margaret Atwood write a version of The Tempest, which is called Hagseed. They had Joe Nesbo write a version of Macbeth. So these are some really high quality authors and high class authors writing Shakespeare's stories and using his plots. The other one I would reference, and this is short stories and small press, is you could look into the Sword and Kettle Press. They released a series of zines that are, some of them reference Shakespeare directly and use uh, some of his plots. Others are a little bit more um, abstract in their use of Shakespeare, but those are good short stories to check out for for reference to what what this could look like.